The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Andrea, for those of you who have not met before. And this is the um, the beginning of a week-long non-residential, we could call it a retreat, a non-residential retreat, um, that's, that has the emphasis of exploring what it means to wake up in the middle of our daily lives and, and our activities. How can we take the practice of mindfulness off the cushion and into our lives? And so that's the, the focus for the week. Um, but before we begin with that, just a few kind of orientations for the day. And just a question. How many of you have never been here to IMC before? Welcome. So um, just as a, as a little orientation, um, there's a kitchen and um, a tea station back on the far side of the room. And you're welcome to use that. The teas are offered freely. Um, the kitchen is available for you to use if you'd like. We do ask if you um, do get some tea to not bring teas into this room. Uh, water is fine, but um, teas can stain the carpet and have stained the carpet. So, um, so to just keep the, the colored liquids out of the room. And um, there's some kind of neighbor, uh, friendly neighbor requests. Um, there will be a period today where we do some walking meditation. And um, just we ask that you not do walking in the dentist parking lot next door, even though it's Sunday. They do ask us to not, to not do that in their parking lot. And then likewise, in the neighborhood when you're walking, um, actually today I'm going to be really encouraging you to walk normally, behave normally, um, but sometimes people do slow down in their um, walking practice and um, just to not do back and forth walking um, in front of the driveways in this neighborhood. Um, that can be a little disruptive for our neighbors. So um, when we do have periods of time for questions and discussion, uh, I ask that you use the mics um, uh, we are recording today the uh, the interchange, and there's a lot of opportunity for interchange today. There'll be a fair amount of opportunity for interchange today. Um, during the week, however, um, the the remainder of the week today is kind of a standalone day for those of you who wish to just come and get some instructions about how to practice in daily life. Um, those of you who want to continue during the week will be meeting every morning, 7.30 to 9 a.m., 7.30 to 9 p.m. Um, I have um, structured the week so that if you have attended today, it's fine for you to come as you can during the week. I know you have, have busy lives, and so I want to make this as available as possible to you. So the mornings and evenings are come as you can. I would like to encourage those of you who can to come as much as you can. Something about the sitting in the morning, connecting, having Dharma discussion in the morning and the evening really creates a thread of continuity fr f through the day and uh, really supports the feeling of this as a retreat for those of you who are um, attending it as a retreat. 
And then, as, as um, it says on the schedule, we'll have a day long on Saturday. So during the week, um, largely the, the morning and evening sessions will be sharing. It will be um, discussions about what's happening in your practice. You know, I'll ask you questions or ask you to describe what's happening for you in your, in your practice. And then there'll be an exchange, um, a Dharma discussion. So during the week, we will not be recording your participation. I found it um, for this style of practice, for this style of um, sharing, it creates more of a container of safety and um, comfort in the sharing if, you're, um, if we're not recording your, uh, your questions and comments. What I will do, however, is you know there are times when um, after hearing a discussion or having a little sharing, there's a little bit of um, my part where I might offer some suggestions or um, teachings that I will record. And so there'll be, a, there'll be, you know, kind of little spotty, maybe like a 10-minute Dharma talk here and a two-minute Dharma talk here. Those will be recorded. And I will um, just try to set the context in that. And so we do ask you to use the mics um, all the time, um, partly for uh, the recording and partly for the ability for everyone to hear. And if those of you ha- um, who are having difficulty hearing, there are hearing assisted devices just outside the room on the um, cabinet, just outside the meditation hall, and you're welcome to use those. The hearing assisted devices use the audio system, and so that really supports people who. Um, who have some difficulty hearing just through the the loudspeakers. So please do use the mics, but know that while today you'll be recorded, during the week you will not be recorded. Yeah. A little loud? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I thought it felt a little loud too, but I had checked earlier. Maybe the trim, that seems good. Does that seem good? Is it still okay for everybody? Okay, yeah, is that okay? Okay, good. So, let's see. Um, So, how many of you think you will be uh, participating in this as a retreat, coming to some of the sessions during the week? Well, a good number of you. That's great. I'm glad to see that. So, today, um, we'll be talking about some of the tools, the techniques for practicing in the midst of daily life. These tools are um, tools, techniques that I have used since the very beginning of my meditation practice. In fact, um, when I first started mindfulness practice, I was not particularly interested in sitting meditation at all and didn't even start sitting meditation uh, for about three months into my practice. But I was really interested in understanding how and why my mind got so reactive in daily life. And so that was my original uh, practice. The first three months or so of my practice was, how can I look at my mind? How can I look at what's going on in my mind in my daily life? And so... um, the tools, the techniques that I'm using came have largely come from 
from that time. The tools that I'm sharing here have largely come from that time. And over the years of sharing them in this form have seemed to be helpful to a lot of people. So um, that's kind of what we'll be doing today is discussing, reviewing those tools first. And then for each of these daily life practice retreats, I also, I also offer a theme for the week. Sometimes it's, you know, last time it was, I believe, or maybe a year ago it was um, mindful speech. Sometimes it's been, you know, noticing, um, noticing what is a struggle in your life or noticing the hindrances or it has been at times something like um, um, practicing happiness or noticing love. So to this week, what I've come up with as a theme for the week is practice in relationship. And this is not, um, I'm not talking about necessarily practice in um, intimate relationship, but just in all relationship, in the relationship that we have with the other people in the cars as we drive down the road, in the relationship we have with somebody at a checkout stand at the grocery store, in the relationship we have with somebody who's crossing on a crosswalk while we're waiting for a stoplight, to just open our minds to the fact that relationships are all around us and how can we bring our practice to, to that area? And what does it do to us as we open to that uh, that terrain. So that's the kind of plan for the day. We'll cover each of these areas. And another piece we'll talk about um, and cover is walking practice, walking meditation. Um, what we could call maybe stealth walking meditation because in daily life practice, we walk a lot and it's helpful to learn how to be present for walking at normal pace, you know, mindfulness at any speed, mindfulness at any pace. And so the, the type of walking practice I'll explore with you today is not the slow walking that we often teach on day longs, but it is much more of a, um, a kind of walking that you can do in the grocery store, a practice you can do in the grocery store, or walking down the street, or walking between your car and um, an office building. You know, just, just how can you be present in that time? So we'll cover all of these pieces during the day. And to begin with, though, the, um, something I find helpful to kind of orient us and actually make a, us enter into what does feel like a retreat is to um, have a little ritual around taking the refuges and the precepts. This is a a tradition that we have in our residential retreats, that the first evening of a residential retreat, we all explore and open to the the refuges, refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, the refuges here basically, I'll just be very brief around this, the the refuge in the Buddha is kind of um, finding a sense of safety or a sense of... um, possibility in our own capacity to wake up. The Buddha representing this possibility of a human being who did wake up. And that 
while we're not there yet, we, we can take refuge in the fact that we too are humans and have that capacity. Just as a reminder for ourselves, this is possible. This is possible for us. And refuge in the Dharma is uh, remembering, relying on, coming back to um, the, uh, the teachings, the tools, the practices, and also the um, opening to just the way it is. The word dharma actually has a couple of different meanings. And one of them is the dharma of what the Buddha taught, the practices, the tools, the teachings, the path that the Buddha taught. And the other meaning for the dharma is simply the truth of how things are. And so opening to just how things are in this moment, opening to the truth of it's like this right now. And we could say that the tool of the Dharma, the tool of the, the teachings, the practices, allow us to open to the Dharma, the truth. So the third is taking refuge in the Sangha. And that is really our terrain of relationship here. We are in a, a little community here together this week. And you will find it becomes a community. Right now you may all feel like kind of individuals sitting here. Um, and yet, uh, over the course of the week, for those of you who come during the week and share, there is a, a sense of community that is created. A community of people practicing together. And that is one of the meanings of Sangha, that we can also take a sense of support from our fellow practitioners, from our community. One of the, um, the teachings in, uh, in the Theravadan tradition is that it's hard to do this work. You know, the Buddha, the Buddha managed to figure out how to wake up by himself, but the rest of us need some help. And so that is how we, uh, we learn. We learn from uh, each other. We learn from reading. We learn from reflecting. And so the, the, the Sangha provides a great support for us in our practice. Sometimes, sometimes you know, especially in this kind of community, you know, often we come and on silent retreat we come and we're sitting in silence together and uh, we can take some refuge in that as well. I have done it myself, you know, sitting there opening my eyes and feeling like I just can't do this anymore. And just seeing somebody sitting there breathing, it's, it's like, oh, maybe I can do that. Or, or seeing somebody standing up very mindfully and going out to do walking. So just a little bit of inspiration that comes, even in the silence. Oh, if somebody else can do it, maybe I can do it. I can keep going. I can keep practicing. In a community like this, where we will be sharing, there's a lot of support that comes from hearing what other people are working with. There's so much commonality. There's so much shared terrain. It's not exactly in, you know, oh, you're having the same day-to-day experiences as the other persons, as the other people, but there's a lot of um, commonality in terms of the core things that we all meet. We all meet confusion. We all meet 
desire, we all meet aversion. And it becomes a sense of support when we hear how other people are working with, the, with this, with the practice. And so this, this, uh, we can really take support from the community here. So this is uh, one aspect of the uh, kind of ritual that opens our retreats. The other aspect is um, orienting towards the relationship of non-harming with our fellow practitioners, with the world, with all beings. So this is about relationship. It's about um, creating a field of safety for ourselves and for others. It's a two-way street that as we engage in non-harming, conduct of non-harming. We, we create a container of safety for others, but we also create a container of um, freedom from remorse for ourselves, which is a form of safety for ourselves. And so the five precepts are refraining from taking life, refraining from taking what's not given, refraining from... Um, using sexuality in a gaining way, refraining from harm using sexuality, uh, refraining from false speech, and refraining from intoxicants. And so um, during this week, I encourage you to explore what it means to take these precepts on. For... For the first precept, I mean, even, even uh, um, one of the things in taking on these precepts is also to acknowledge where we are engaging in them already. So this is a form of, of support for us. You know, sometimes we think of these precepts as being, you know, oh, I'm not supposed to do this, I'm not supposed to do that, I'm not supposed to do this. And, and so we are looking at our behavior in terms of um, what, am I, what am I doing that's wrong? Another way to reflect on these precepts is to look at what am I doing that is actually already in line with these precepts. For, um, for us in this room, most of us, I think it's not going to be a temptation to be killing our fellow human beings. Although, you know, the reflect, some of the reflection I've done on this is that, um, you know, we are fortunate in this country to have largely a peaceful society. And um, if, we, if we had grown up in another context maybe this precept would be something we'd actually need to explore and work on. And so, you know, to to hold this precept or to take this precept of not killing our fellow human beings, we can actually appreciate that we are in the situation of not not engaging in that. That 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 can be a support for us. And, And it's not a small thing. You know, it's not a small thing that this group of people can commit to that for this week or longer. Just imagine, I say this often, but just imagine what a different world it would be 
If everybody, if every human being on the planet simply committed to not actively killing another human being, another, you know, consciously saying, I want to kill this being and killing them. If everybody on the planet signed up to that, what a different world it would be. And so appreciate the benefit, the value of that aspect of what, of what you're already doing in the way of the precepts. And taking what's not given, you know, we're not going to be going out and, you know, robbing banks or things like that. So appreciating the fact of the, you know, how you are already meeting these precepts. And then it gets a little subtler. And this is our edge, perhaps. Perhaps choosing for this week to not kill insects, to uh, capture the spiders and take them outside, to find a way not to have to actually actively kill. Play with that. Play with the edges of the precepts, the, the subtleties of the precepts, and not taking what's not offered, the... Um, the subtlety of being taking care with other people's possessions, even as simple as borrowing a pencil or a pen and making sure to return it. So taking, taking these precepts on in a deep way during the week. For the fifth precept, um, refraining from um, intoxicants, I have found this to be uh, a really helpful thing in my life. Um, to explore. I mean, when I first started taking on the precepts, I, I, you know, I drank wine in the evenings, and um, you know, I didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a. It wasn't a problem. But I began to look at the the flip side of this precept, and the flip side of all the precepts is they support the cultivation of a wholesome quality of mind. So refraining from killing cultivates or supports the cultivation of compassion, of connection. Actually, the, the quality of mind that, that um, the first four precepts in particular cultivate support a connection with our fellow human beings. And so refraining from killing cultivates this connection of compassion with our fellow human beings. Refraining from taking what's not given cultivates a, a, a an honesty in relationship. Refraining from um, sexual misconduct cultivates um, kind of a contentment with how we are. Uh, refraining from um, false speech cultivates a truthfulness in relationship. Refraining from intoxicants cultivates clarity of mind. This is the flip side of the precept of refraining from intoxicants. It encourages the mind to be uh, in a place of clarity. And so as I began exploring this, the way I began exploring it, and you know, y- you need to do this in your own time, in your own fashion, um, but I'll just tell you how it worked for me. So when I first started this, looking at this, I, I just, you know, I would have a glass of wine in the evening. And um, then, you know, I would go to do my meditation in the evening and I noticed just how much less clarity of mind there was. 
not getting drunk. I mean, I, a glass of wine, I didn't get drunk from a glass of wine, but it impacted my mental clarity. It impacted the ability of the mind to be clear and present with experience. So, you know, I began noticing that. And I thought, well, okay, so if I have a glass of wine in the evening, you know, it's a little fuzzy or it's not so clear. And uh, But the next morning, I got up to do my meditation and Lo and behold, 12 hours later, the mind was still less clear than usual. It stunned me just in the the valuing and appreciating clarity just how much I could see the impact of a glass of wine, not to the point of intoxication, but the impact of a glass of wine had on the capacity of the mind to really be here. Twelve hours later, it had an impact. And so with that kind of feedback, I would choose, you know, when to have a glass of wine and when not to have a glass of wine. And at some point, I'm just like, I value clarity way more than whatever sense of pleasure I'm getting from this, you know, glass of wine. And very naturally, the urge to have a glass of wine started to fall away. And this is part of what a a real renunciation is. I mean, we can use these precepts to help us to find our way in creating skillful relationship. And we have to uh, notice how when we we do engage, we, we cross the line and kill that mosquito or kill that spider, what happens? You know, what, what are the consequences of that? How does it impact us? You know, as we start actually recognizing the relationship in this um, emphasis this week on looking at relationship, as we start really orienting towards relationship, we'll start to see that we even have a relationship with ants and spiders. And that that relationship connects us life to life. And we, 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 we understand that all, all beings want to have their own life, to live with ease. And we move in the direction of not wishing to harm. And so the renunciation around these precepts begins to uh, help us to let go of things that would be um, in the way of cultivating an open heart and cultivating clarity of mind. And the letting go, you know, if you investigate and explore these precepts during the week, taking them on, as we will with the relationship practice, I'll ask you to explore taking these on and when, when you feel inclined to break the precepts and exploring what that's about, what's going on there as we really start to understand the consequences, as in the example of the, you know, my example around the wine just beginning to fall away, you know, we see that um, (coughs) renunciation in its deepest sense isn't about trying to not do something that is 
inwardly still we want to do, but in a very natural falling away and letting go because we understand it's not helpful. It's not helpful for ourselves or for others, or both. And so these, um, these refuges and precepts, let's, let's take them together and commit to them for this week. Um, we'll do the first part, the refuges, with uh, call and response, and we'll do this in the Pali. I think many of you probably know them. The, the Pali, um, it's beautiful to, um, to have this connection to our lineage because these refuges have been chanted in these words since the time of the Buddha. So it's, uh, it, it reminds us of our, uh, how this tradition carries across so many generations. So the, um, the refuges begin with a, um, an homage um, to the Buddha, which we'll chant three times, and then we'll take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha for the first time. The second time, refuge Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And then for the third time, refuge to the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And I'll do this in, for the first, for the homage, I'll do it a word or two at a time. For the uh, first time through the refuges, I'll do it a a word or two at at a time. The second and third time through the refuges, we'll do a line at a time. Namo tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa I'm going to change my pitch a little bit. Buddhang Saranangachami Damang Saranang Chami Sangang Saranang Chami Dutiampi Budang Saranang Chami Dutiampi Damang Sarananga Chami Dutiampi Sangang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Budang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Damang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi 
Sangang Saranangachami. And for the precepts, we'll do these in English together. For the sake of our practice together, I vow to refrain from taking life. For the sake of our practice together, I vow to refrain from taking that which is not given. For the sake of our practice together, I vow to refrain from sexual misconduct. For the sake of our practice together, I vow to refrain from false speech. For the sake of our practice together, I vow to refrain from intoxicants which cloud the mind and lead to heedlessness. So I know you've been sitting for a while, but if you'll bear with me for just a couple more minutes, um, we'll be doing a walking in just, just a few minutes. I just want to offer some instructions about walking and then let you go out and do that together. Um, so for walking, again, as I said a few minutes ago, um, in daily life, we, we walk a lot. You know, we walk around our house, we walk from the store to our car, we walk around the store, we walk in our offices, our places of work. So there's a lot of opportunity for practice and movement, for practice, for bringing mindfulness to this, uh, moving process. And often when we're moving, we are in transition between things. We are, you know, getting up, taking a few steps from our dining room table to our kitchen, you know, to do something. Or we're, we're in the process of leaving our car and going to the grocery store. And so there's often a, um, a process of transition. And it's like in these processes of transition, we often forget about mindfulness. And so if you can encourage a, a habit, let's say, of being mindful while walking, you'll find that the, this, this begins to pull a thread of mindfulness through the day. Because we do walk. We walk all the time. And if you can enter into a habit of you taking a few steps, you know, getting up between um, your desk and going to the bathroom, you know, just just taking, taking a few steps. If you can get into the habit of waking up and being mindful in those times, it really supports a continuity of just little bits of mindfulness through the day. And that's a lot of what we'll be emphasizing in this week of practice together, is just finding ways to bring uh, just little bursts of mindfulness through the day and finding a way to draw a thread that connects them. And so with walking practice, again, the the usual form of walking, the slow walking, the lifting, moving, placing form of walking isn't um, necessarily going to work in the grocery store. Um, So it's helpful to have some other instructions, and I'll offer two key pieces. One is 
First, when you're walking, see if you can find a pace that feels comfortable. Let that be the first avenue into exploring being mindful, being aware while walking. There's going to be a different pace at different times of the day. You know, if you're, if you're, um, if you've gotten up a little bit late and need to move a little bit quickly in order to get out the door, trying to artificially slow down will feel a little bit uncomfortable. And so finding the pace that feels comfortable for the situation that you're in, for the state of mind that you're in. And sometimes we have to move more quickly than we would necessarily want to because of the circumstances or conditions. And so not denying that, not thinking, oh, just because I have to move quickly, forget about mindfulness, it goes out the window. But just seeing what does it mean to try to be comfortable with this pace of movement. And so as we go out to walk now, the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is to play with the pace. Play with walking a little faster, walking a little more slowly, and seeing if you can find in that pace where the mind kind of relaxes, where the mind and body say, yeah, this feels comfortable, this feels good, this feels like I can hang out here. In fact, it feels like I want to hang out here being present in this way. So that's the first piece. It's looking for a pace that brings comfort. Comfortable, that feels comfortable and easeful. The next thing that I want to encourage is a practice of open awareness while walking. Again, in our daily lives, you know, in in the practice of lifting, moving, placing, we can come into ourselves, even, you know, really look down at the floor and, you know, not look more than like six feet away from the front of us. Or sometimes even I've done walking with my hand on a wall and my eyes closed, you know, so we can really kind of come in, just really coming into the sensations of the movement of the feet. In our daily lives, our walking generally has to take in sights, sounds, other people that are around us. And so for, um, This kind of walking, I'm going to ask you to explore a uh, practice that lets you alternate between different areas of experience. To start with, it's a kind of a conscious alternation between different areas of experience. So while you're walking, once you've found a pace that feels comfortable, that's a moving, you know, awareness of movement and how it impacts you, Then open yourself up to the fact that you're seeing while you're walking. Seeing is happening. And you don't have to try to control the seeing in any way. Just notice, you know, this is how the the eyes want to see, the mind wants to see right now. You're walking down the street and, you know, you you could do a kind of a, a broad panoramic awareness if you like. Just take in seeing, almost as if you're a camera moving through space. And yet, while you're walking, there will be moments when the attention, the visual attention gets drawn to something. You, you see a bird flying by and suddenly your attention is right there. You don't have to try to have some idea that the seeing means a certain thing. Just notice how your 
mind, your eyes, your body wants to see while it's walking. Notice that. Seeing is happening. Do that for anywhere from five to ten steps. And then switch to hearing. Now, likewise with hearing, you know, you, you can kind of open to the kind of auditory field and then notice like the sound of a motorcycle, the tension gets drawn to that. Or the sound of a car or a backfiring or a bird call that often when these kind of things pop out of the field of hearing, the attention gets drawn to that. And again, just to notice that. You don't have to stop it. You don't have to try to not do that. But just recognize, ah, this is how, this is how hearing works. Now, this, is, this is what it means to be in a human body that has ears and hears. This is how it works. So just be aware of that for another five to ten paces. And the next five to ten paces open to the sensation of body moving through space. Just as you did with the checking into what's comfortable. You could come back to that. Come back to, is the, is the body at ease while walking? You know, feeling, feeling into the body itself while walking. And that, again, for five to ten paces. And then uh, at the end, um, the last piece is to uh, connect with the sensations of feet as they hit the ground. So this one's a little more specific, a little more, you know, something you may be a little more familiar with from walking meditation. Just noticing the contact as your feet hit the ground for five to ten paces or so. You're welcome to play with how long you stay with each of these four areas. Seeing, hearing, body moving through space, feet touching the ground. You're welcome to play with staying with one for longer, maybe 30 seconds, even a minute, and then switch. The thing that I would encourage is for you to check what supports your ability to stay present. Sometimes... It helps us to stay present if we stay connected with one area for a little bit longer. Sometimes that staying connected with that area for a little bit longer, we lose touch and it's like we just drift out the door of seeing and start thinking about what we've seen. So if you find that it supports you to stay present, that's our, that's our practice this week. What is it that supports us to wake up, to be here, to be aware of what's happening in the moment so if you find that uh, switching more frequently supports that, do that. If you find that switching less frequently supports that, do that. As you explore these different areas, so you're practicing noticing seeing, probably you're going to start to notice, especially as the practice goes on, that while you're seeing, you're also noticing hearing is happening. You don't have to try to stop hearing while you're engaged with the seeing. It's kind of more like just let the seeing be the focus. Let the seeing be the the main lens through which you're noticing experience. So right now I can be really aware of the fact that I'm seeing you all sitting here, but also aware of the sound of my voice and the the sound of the the people outside. the, The While I was talking before, there was something going by outside, so I was aware primarily of the seeing, but also knew that there was a sound happening. So, you know, you don't have to push the other experiences away. This is moving into a place where you can be aware of multiple things at a time. 
that you can be aware of seeing and hearing and moving at the same time. But it's helpful in beginning this to start with just orienting, keeping one kind of in the foreground. And then letting it rotate and switch to the next one in the foreground. So I remember the order for myself by going top to bottom. Seeing, hearing's a little bit lower than the eyes. (laughs) I think of body moving through space as being this part of the body. And then feet touching the ground. And then going back, seeing, hearing, moving, touching. If it supports you, you're welcome to use a little light note to remind yourself which of these you're on. So, um, any questions about the walking? Any questions? Yeah. Ah, what do I mean by light note? Um, I mean to uh, let there be a word in your mind while you're engaged with the seeing. So you're, you're exploring, okay, seeing's happening right now. In your mind, reminding yourself that that is what you're doing. Seeing. 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 Not that the, 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 the lightness of it is that you're primarily focused on the, um, the aspect of seeing itself, but the mental note, the mental recognition, seeing, seeing, kind of can help to keep the mind there for the activity. So it's just a little light whisper in the mind. If you find it helpful, great. If it feels really um, problematic for you, just let it go for now. Any other? So yes, the, the, four, the four notes would be seeing, hearing, moving, touching. Any other questions? Yeah. I wonder if you could say a little bit more about moving I've practiced with this in so many different ways that I've got a little convoluted now. I'm like, I'm not exactly sure what I'm... What What you're paying attention to? Or what you have in mind when you say this. Because I've interpreted it, I've tried this way, that way, and the other way, and now I just kind of like to check in a little bit with what your idea of it is. Um, This, in my own practice, in my own experience, the body moving has undergone an evolution of what, what my understanding of it means. Initially, it seems to be whatever's obvious. You know, arms swinging, um, you know, legs moving. So just whatever you can touch into about the body moving. Um, the more... Um, the more I've practiced with it, the subtler the sensation of moving becomes. And it, it sometimes it just feels like just like a pull of like almost like a magnet, you know, just a pull uh, moving through space, just a, a kind of like you know the body has been pushed. So that 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 level of movement um, of, of seeing that that took me a while to actually come to, and so. 
what I do, and at times, at times in my daily life, I can touch into that, and other times I can't. And so I just mostly touch into whatever is obvious about movement, and not try to find anything in particular, but just be open to a subtle something, something that I'm not familiar with, perhaps appearing, as I'm open to the experience of movement. That's how I first saw, actually the first time I saw that sense of the, the, um, the body moving in that way. The one, there are two that I'm remembering. I'll, I'll talk about a, a, a different one. I was, standing at the, I was standing at the end of a walking path. And I had my arms crossed and I was just standing there, just waiting, you know, just standing there, noticing the standing. And as I stood there, it felt like, it felt like there was a magnet pulling me forward. And then it felt like there was a magnet pulling me backward. And I'm like, wow, who's doing that? And then I realized that that was movement, that feeling of that pull. It's a kind of a subtle experience. You can feel it in the movement of the foot, too. Sometimes it's like you lift the foot and then you move, and it's like, wait, who, pu- who pushed the foot? <laughs> you know, how did that happen? So there is a very subtle sense of just movement like that. But I came to it through just watching whatever was obvious around movement. So, thanks for the question. Any other questions? Okay. Um, So, let's see. Um, Those of you who are in the Dharma Mentoring Training Program, if you want to just take a few minutes to check in with me in the conference room, um, I'll just have a short short meeting with you now. So uh, we'll walk until three. So enjoy your walk.